welcome to the Planet Beyond podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in delivering geodata from the greatest subsea depths right to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston Pitt. What makes a good chief financial officer or CFO? That question would once perhaps have been easy to answer. It requires a deep understanding of a company's finances. It demands an ability to identify risks and opportunities. And it needs someone who can hold their own in tense negotiations. All that is true, but as our guest, Fugro CFO Barbara Geelan explains in today's conversation, the role now encompasses a lot more. A good CFO now must understand how a broader set of challenges, from the energy trilemma to AI and many others, will impact business. Well, still engaging with a diverse world of stakeholders and and colleagues on a daily basis. It's a far more complex role and one I'm delighted to be able to discuss with Barbara today. Barbara Geelan, welcome to Planet Beyond. Thanks for having me on, uh, on the podcast, John. It's an absolute pleasure, Barbara. Now, The role of CFO might be a bit unfamiliar to those outside the boardroom. Can you tell us a little bit about what your working life entails? Sure. Uh, Thanks, uh, John. That's a really good uh, question. Uh, I I must say that the role of the CFO has changed uh, quite a bit in the last few years. Historically, it was uh, much about uh, finances and indeed risk management, which has already been you know uh, very important in the role of the CFO and will continue to be so but now there is much more to it uh, to the to the role of the CFO and also the agenda it is much wider and broader now and it includes for example for for me at Fugro it includes implementation of the um, ERP systems that we have procurement how we procure and purchase equipment and services it's about sustainability, including our net, z- uh, net zero strategy in, 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 in the finances, how we're going to afford that. It also looks at translating our strategy into the numbers, uh, looking at scenarios, which is very important, of course, in this uncertain world. So there's really lots to it. You know, how do we allocate capital? How do we make the right investments, as you already say? So uh, really, I'm not uh, working on numbers every day, uh, so to speak. Uh, The majority actually of my time is spent talking to people, uh, meeting with new colleagues, uh, talking with colleagues, listening to their ideas, concerns, you know, driving the uh, agenda, help coordinate, uh, share my views. So so it's been uh, quite busy at uh, at Fugo doing that. I'm looking at tender reviews. So so there is uh, really a lot going on. We have monthly performance reviews with the regions. 
Of course, we have a supervisory board, uh, the, 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 the people overseeing the board, so to speak. So we meet every, every two months. We have an audit committee. We have the supervisory board. We have a tech committee. So, so there's lots going on also in different uh, committees. But uh, the majority of my work is really interacting with people and also motivating people. It's really multifaceted then. Does that mark a change from the traditional role of a CFO? Did they just focus on the numbers? The CFO was more cornered off, or the role of the CFO in the past was more cornered off in, uh, in, in financing. But let's not forget that there's a lot of new topics on the board. And automation in the last you know, few years and in the last decade has helped us tremendously to gather information in a much quicker pace. You know, there's much more automation, digitalization. Now we have AI on the board, so we can go much faster. So, as the role has changed, what today makes a good CFO? I think besides the standard broad skill set of the CFO, there is also a, a big uh, leadership component. Um, being at the top of the company, a senior member of the management team, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, the role you play is very important. Tone at the top is important. People look at you, what, uh, what you do and what you, you don't do. Uh, so it's not only the words, but it's also how you behave. So that that is that is really important that you realize that uh, as a CFO, and then perhaps on on additional kind of focus areas, I would say um, empathy is a very important um, um, component as a, as a number one. Uh, and what do I mean with that? It means it's important uh, that you know to listen well to be curious um, and, uh, you know, to, to really invest and build relationships. Secondly, it's uh, important to be able to business partner with the CEO. It's an important tandem CEO, CFO, and, and, and also investing time in stakeholder management. And this is very important if you want to create change in a company, uh, that you have the buy-in, that everyone is on board uh, on what you try to to achieve, and um, lastly, certainly, is the combination of uh, ability to think strategically at a very high level about the future of the company. You know, taking all the outside factors into consideration, especially in today's world, uncertain world, and at the same time, being able to dive into the details of today's challenges of the company and and really um, drive sustainable change. And those would be the three points that, for me, would make a good uh, CFO. So how does someone learn that range of skills? Is it just a question of going to business school and two or three years later, out you pop, well established on the road to being a CFO? Did you set about your working life with that sort of crystal clear path stretched out in front of you? 
No, it was absolutely not planned. I, I never at any point in time when I was younger thought, oh, I want to become a, a CFO. Uh, I, you know, you start in your career uh, and you just take, you know, the opportunities that arise. You create opportunities, of course, for yourself. You know, you do make choices, but you also need uh, sponsors along the way. You meet people who have ideas. So for me, it was very much now looking back how it all came together. That's easily said. Uh, but looking forward, when you're young, I, I didn't have a big uh, master plan in, uh, in mind, which I was executing on. And I think that is important. Uh, that will only lead to uh, disappointments, I think, in life if you, if you follow that route. I, I really am convinced that you should... Uh, you know, enjoy, also enjoy the ride, you know, in, in terms of what you're doing now uh, and not uh, aiming for something higher that may never happen uh, because it's not, it's not within your gift to really sculpt your career only, right? It's, it's the people you meet and the people who support you, the people who give you the confidence uh, that you can take a next step or uh, they're willing to, to take that jump with you. So, so there's a lot that needs to be uh, coming together there, and and luck is is also a, a bit of a thing. This is resonating with me. I, I was mentoring somebody just yesterday. They were they were sharing what was concerning them. I don't have this crystal clear picture of where I want to be in five or ten years time. That worries me, he said. My words, relax. Any vision you formulate now will probably turn out to be very different. Enjoy the journey. Have a course idea, yes. Have your next immediate steps sorted, but be relaxed, receptive and agile to what emerges later. So with that sort of idea in mind, let's look at how your career started. Did you have that appetite for the unexpected well it was important because i was attracted to adventure and i'm a curious person by nature i grew up in a very small town in the south of the netherlands uh, and i always uh, you know say we only had uh, we didn't even have a traffic light in that town so small uh, was it so it was really not you know the, the big world uh, out there But I was curious and I wanted to venture out in the world. So I, I before I started work actually, so I, this was uh, after secondary school, I moved to uh, to Australia and New Zealand on a, on a work and travel visa. And uh, I, I worked actually as a, as a jewelry, a jewelry on, a, on a sheep farm in the outback and on a tomato farm in Brisbane and... Sorry, a jewelry, what's that? That's a, that's a female cowboy. <laughs> that's a cowgirl. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, so I was uh, mustering sheep uh, on, uh, on horseback, and that was uh, really exciting. It was quite adventurous and, uh, and interesting, and that really kind of got my also taste that, that year, my taste for more venturing out in the, in the wider world. Uh, so, so the Netherlands was pretty... A boring place then after after coming back from you know such a big uh, adventure so that was really uh, I thought that tasted uh, for more 
and uh, so, so I, I moved to to Singapore. Uh, I um, I spent there uh, two years. Uh, I lived in London. It, it it's not that it was important that I was in those places, but it was important for me to you know really also survive and get established in a total new uh, surrounding, meeting new people. Um, that that really you know the curiosity was was really that big, but it always also was um, in relation to getting out of my comfort zone. It was also the challenge that I really liked. You know, can I can I you know be successful there, uh, or can I you know make it work? Can I make the unknown known? And that that is something that has been uh, an element throughout my career, just doing new new things and exploring new things that's scary stuff being being parachuted into london in, into singapore not knowing any of these people working in a bank of all places crumbs not for everyone but off you go yeah you just do you know sometimes you shouldn't ask too too much or think too much because if you think too much you won't do it anymore right but even with that spirit of adventure were you thinking of each choice as a stepping stone in your career? No, I, I, I've always been uh, driven. I, I quite like what uh, Obama says. You know, it's it's like it, people, you know, getting the getting the job done in the best possible way, whatever the job is, it it doesn't matter. Let's look a little further along in your career. Those jobs in Amsterdam and, and London. We're in the world of banking. You worked at ABN AMRO and Royal Bank of Scotland and on some very large restructuring projects. That's another step into the unknown. How do you go about identifying and quantifying those risks? How do you get that job done? Restructuring requires a combination of, of many skills. And, you know, you always work around the clock. The pressure is very high. Uh, there is not, a lot, not enough money because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be in, in, in the pickle in the first place as a company. And there is many stakeholders to manage with different agendas and personal agendas and, and blame games, of course, are happening. You know, no one wants to be part of that problem. No one created the problem, but the problem is there. So it, 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 it's, it's really, uh, that was a really interesting period, I would say, that the biggest restructuring I, I've, I've done, and also most complex, was, uh, was the Dubai World restructuring. And uh, back then I spent also a lot of time in Dubai, and there were around 80 lenders, so 80 different banks uh, with multi-billion uh, dollars of debts, which, and everyone, every bank had their own agenda. One bank wanted this, that bank wanted that. So you have to really bring people together and, and make sure that there is, there's a future ahead. But I'm guessing it's not always easy to get to that point. Have you had times when someone really doesn't want to agree? To split the pain equally. Yeah, certainly they did, uh, and they made a lot of impression on the, on on the spot. But reflecting on it, uh, they were really um, it was not very impressive, or from a content perspective, it was not very strong. So when you reflect on it later on, 
I was not impressed at all. Whereas at that moment in time, I felt intimidated because someone was really acting like, for example, a bully, frankly. But there was a lot of, uh, I don't know this uh, saying, uh, John, and, 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 but veel geschreeuw, weinig wol. So a lot of screaming, but not enough, not a lot of wool. I don't know if that's an English uh, expression, but. Uh... I've heard Dutch and other European colleagues use it as said the farmer who sheared a pig, isn't it? Making a, a huge fuss over a point that's misconceived from the start. It's always a shame in business when we find people acting like that. And, and it must be even harder when the whole world is in crisis. You, you've been in leadership roles during the, the global financial crisis and then through COVID. At those times, how did you keep your head? Indeed, as, as Kipling says, when all around you were losing theirs. I think it's always uh, important to uh, keep keep calm and and and, and carry on in that sense. Uh, but we you have to shift gears in that situation. And in a crisis, uh, you know, you you get extreme reactions, right? Uh, uh, we saw that in COVID, there was a total lockdown. Now there is kind of there's still COVID, but it's now the flu. So the, the the same was in the financial crisis. Everything you know was was stopped. Like this, the world stopped turning. And uh, we 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 then you then quickly have to uh, go to making an assessment of uh, indeed the task at hand. What are the risks? What is the exposure? Uh, how? What are the the, the the ways to 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 find a way out? Uh, scenario planning. We saw that especially in COVID, uh, with for example the auditors. The 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 they all of a sudden wanted many scenarios before that. Uh, that was not so much uh, the case. So the focus shifts uh, and the risk, the appetite for risk decreases to almost zero. So when a, when a crisis hits, you know, the risk appetite is very low. And then, you know, over time, risk appetite uh, comes back. So you constantly also in your role as CFO need, need, need to balance that because if you're too conservative, it's a risk return play, right? If you too, If you don't take any risks, you'll never make good money, right? If you take too much risk, you may lose a lot of money. So there's always the balance of making an inventory. What is the situation? And can I really, what are the main risks? Can I quantify the risk? And can I take a, a responsible decision going forward? And then let's not forget that it's not only about risks, it's also about opportunities, because that really goes goes hand in hand. Uh, in in terms of also as my role uh, uh, as my CFO role, it's very important that I cater uh, that I make sure that the company is well positioned for growth. If you think about Fuho, we've we've gone through a tremendous growth path in the last uh, you know eighteen months, and that is something that you know you you also as a CFO need to cater for. You need to make sure you make invest in the right markets where there is growth you need to make sure that you have enough liquidity to 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 finance actually all the working capital that is required so there is is a lot of also the opportunities can you really monetize the opportunities that is just as important as 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 the risk taking i would say we often work in business on quite short term scales even the global financial crisis and covid were really 
just a few years each. But we're facing a much more long-term, slow-moving crisis with climate change. How do you think about that long-term risk while still paying attention to the short-term needs of the business and its employees? It's very important to balance the short-term and the long-term. If you would only do the short term, you would make different decisions then versus you would only uh, look at look at the long term. And then there's the energy trilemma, um, which is also a balancing act between the sustainability of the solution, the, the security, i.e. the reliability of the of the energy, and also the affordability. In terms of it needs to be affordable, it needs to be there uh, in, in, in sufficient scale. And that is the same in running our business. We have a very good purpose of creating a safe and livable world. Now that is really, that is a dot on the horizon, very far out, right? Maybe, you know, you and I probably in our careers are not gonna, gonna get there. But we need, we need to really position uh, the, the, the planet as such for the future. At the same time, uh, the affordability question uh, also needs to be answered. You know, we, we also, in the shorter term, you need to make money to invest money, right? You need to also be a sound company to invest in the future. And there it is, there's a balancing act coming in. And I also described this in the Capital Markets Day, which we had on the 14th of November, where I presented on the choices that we're making in terms of how do we allocate capital? How do we reinvest in our existing business, but also at the same time invest in our future? So I always keep an eye on our net zero strategy. That's 2035. That's not even that far away. We have to make decisions now. We have a lot of assets and those assets, you know, are they going to live and are there beyond 2035? How do they fit in that picture? Where do we need to invest in? You know, we have an asset lighter strategy with the uncrewed service vessels. We believe in that. We believe that that is the key too. But is that really now making a lot of money today? Not yet. So I need, you know, from a CFO perspective, you're going to look, okay, how much money can I allocate in the future and how much allocate money do I need to allocate to making sure that the business, the business of today can keep growing and, and, and flourishing. And that, that balance is, is something that is always kind of in, in, in my mind. And therefore, you know, I'm always looking at scenarios. What if then that, you know, what if, uh, uh, fossil fuel stops or what if uh, renewable uh, uh, energy is, is going slower than expected. All these scenarios are on the board. In the grand scheme of things, Fugro isn't the biggest of companies. Can we contribute to that decision making or do we just need to follow what other bigger players are doing? Yeah, we can, and and we are making a difference, and we have taken the decision to to be uh, a front runner uh, from an innovation perspective, and I, I I believe that is the right thing to do. We have so many smart people within Fugro who can really make and bring the change that that is needed. If we are not in the if Fugro is not an ecosystem, and I'm really convinced of that then, you know, we, the world cannot 
uh, do the build-out of, for example, offshore uh, renewables at the speed that they they want to, because we really have an edge uh, that 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 we can bring to the world and that the world uh, needs. But it is well, like you say, the balancing act. The team here can can innovate, but you and the rest of the board need to know that we can also keep the business running. Do you think customers are ready to pay a premium for these for these sorts of innovations? It depends really in what what the competitive landscape is. Clearly, we are a global company, so we're active everywhere. The land business is more competitive uh, than, than, than the marine business, where we have a clear uh, market-leading position. But also on land, we have technologies which are becoming much less intrusive. And, and that much less intrusive, both on marine and land, is, is very important. And uh, the client's awareness, also from, for example, a biodiversity perspective, is 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 increasing but also from a efficiency fuel efficiency perspective we see more and more customers uh, not only want to be associated with it but also are willing to pay up so where are we barbara unfortunately it's not an ideal world yet we are still taking first steps for example with the methanol conversion are the clients really paying also for that investment uh, I would quite like uh, to, to say not, not, not completely yet, but I do believe it's come and we have really good dialogues with our customers in how we can make it work. And that is where scope three, this is a little bit technically technical, but scope three uh, comes in, in terms of supply chain management. Everyone, you know, we need the whole world, need the whole ecosystem, as, as I just said, needs to start moving together. And, and that I do see happening, and that's very encouraging, because that's the only way we're really going to solve the climate change issue. That's what's so important about the greenhouse gas protocols, isn't it? As we move into scope three, the supply chain emissions, more and more companies are going to pay attention to their exposure to those risks. Now, let's turn to another slow-moving challenge that of diversity in the workplace. Do you think that it is a challenge? And how do we make progress there? There's not uh, not enough uh, women in the, in the boardroom, uh, if you ask me. And I think we're making good strides with, uh, within uh, Fugal. And uh, unfortunately, during COVID, a lot of women left the workforce. And it's really our responsibility to uh, bring back uh, women in the workforce. I, it's not only boardroom for me. It's also the diversity in 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 a, in a wider sense, in a broader sense within the organization. That is uh, that is important. Um, there is of course the, the 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 unconscious bias, and that both men and women have. We all have unconscious biases, in terms of the difference in the boardroom. That of course still plays a role. You know, many studies have been done uh, on that. And you had uh, previously in a podcast, also very, very interesting podcast of why men win, uh, win at work, I think it was called. And uh, what was really uh, striking there is that one of the research outcomes um, was related to how uh, women uh, perhaps think about before they answer a question. 
you know, their level of determination when saying something and making a statement in a much more forceful way. Men do that in a much more forceful way, perhaps uh, in general, than, than women. And I, I do see that. And it's uh, and and that you know that leads to a certain perception. Whereas I think if we have a better understanding of each other, then there is more room uh, to thrive for everyone, and that would bring more women perhaps in the boardroom. So I I really like uh, the the analysis that was done in that uh, in that regard. Yes, that was a really powerful episode. Now, to our listeners, I recommend that you tune in to episode 28, where I interviewed best-selling author Jill Whitty Collins on Why Men Win at Work, an interview everyone should listen to, and we will leave some links to the episode in the show notes. Now, Barbara, you mentioned another statistic there that I hadn't been aware of, that more women left the workplace during covid impact has that had? That set us back. Uh, we had, of course, the great resignation. We had the fact that uh, people, you know, the individual purpose came really out of COVID. Uh, besides, you know, we always talk about a company purpose. But what is people really started to reflect on? What do I want to do? A lot of the women with mothers in the workforce uh, had to stay home with the children so they 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 resigned more so than men did and and whereas we still need to have more and not less so it was it was uh, unfortunately one one step uh, backward there in terms of uh, female participation in the workforce and we really need to shift that you know back and and even further uh, moving forward and that's also why we have these non-financial targets, as we say, in our plan of of attracting more uh, female uh, female leaders to the workforce. I I wasn't really a big fan of of uh, targets in 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 that area. And being a, a woman myself, you know, you always have the you know the thought, "Am I here because you know?" And I think, but we really, I think we've we've outgrown that. I mean, we we kind of surpassed that uh, stage. Uh, we, you know, I think in general, uh, people are now, they see the value and they're more convinced of the value. I don't think we have to sell the, the idea as such anymore. It's much more accepted. Now it's time to deliver on it and, and to, to, to make it happen. The, the diversity discussion has moved way beyond gender diversity. The, the reason why we have a gender diversity target is because it's measurable. Diversity is so uh, such such a wide concept as well that you know we 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 chose a measurable target that is not set that diversity doesn't go much beyond that. It's another example of an ecosystem, isn't it? We can't just focus on one measurable goal. We've got to build an environment where everyone thrives. How do you think we can do that? on an individual level. What sort of advice do you give to young people, to young women in particular, on how to find a career they can thrive in? Sure. Um, I would say one thing is that don't let anyone ever tell you that you know you will not make it. 
you know, don't let anyone put you down or tell you that it, it's something that you cannot do. You know, you, you can do whatever you want to do. I, I'm a firm believer of that. And that in combination with, as I said, uh, Obama, I, I quite <laughs> like this quote and just getting, get stuff done, just get work done. You know, that, that is really, I've, I've always, you know, kept my head down and worked hard. But if I would have stopped at any moment that people would have said, you know, you don't qualify or, you know, I wouldn't apply for that job or you're not going to be successful, then I would have, you know, I would have still sat in a very different place. So you need to be a little bit uh, stubborn there and, and, and believe in yourself. So, so don't, don't give up, you know, persevere, even, you know, despite uh, people telling you perhaps that, um, because that, that, that you will not be successful, because there will be people, and this is also what I tried to say before, there will be people that will give you the chance. I'm sure if you work hard, you know, you, 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 you contribute people that will get noticed. And be nice, you know, be a nice person. Be nice to everyone around uh, around you, and um, I, I think that is uh, that is uh, that is uh, important as well. Thank you, Barbara. A great episode with great takeaways. We've covered a lot here that is important wherever you are in your career. Open to risk. As Barbara says, if you don't take any risks, you'll never make good money. And take the time to consider a situation clearly, to make that risk return analysis. Because if you take too much risk, then you might lose a lot of money. But in life, you can't know every outcome in advance. Maybe traveling halfway around the world to muster sheep will be a path to success. Maybe it won't, but still, get stuff done. Because nothing happens in isolation. We need to not just think about individual challenges, but about ecosystems. How do we build an energy ecosystem which balances all parts of the energy trilemma? How do we support a workplace ecosystem in which everyone thrives? And how do we create a fertile environment in our lives that nourishes opportunities? And as Barbara says, be nice to everyone around you. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, leave a like in the podcast app you're listening on and help us reach a wider audience by sharing this episode with your network, your family and friends. It was a real pleasure interviewing Barbara. As always, until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.